0: Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, the fan. Also, find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Leave, a, leave us a message there if you'd like. Also, uh, Podcast MN, the landing spot for Minnesota podcasts, also under Lakes, Woods, and Irons. Thanks to our sponsor, Mills GM, the home of affordable luxury, the 2020 Buicks. Chris, uh, another week in the books and a pretty exciting week for uh, professional golf in Minnesota.
1: Yeah, three M open this week. Unfortunately, no spectators. But uh, just like uh, almost every or every week since the return, they've got a uh, a great field and uh, should be a great great event. Bringing some uh, highlights to Minnesota.
0: A couple of former number ones in there: Dustin Johnson and Brooks Koepka are both playing, and uh, both a little bumpy at Jack's tournament. Uh, I, you can't help but love uh, DJ; he just. Uh, I saw him after, and he—I think he shot eighty twice at the memorial, and uh, he's like, well, "You know, I was hitting my drives pretty good, and I was putting okay. I just couldn't <laughs> do anything in between." And he—and and he's just—he's such a nonchalant kind of about it. You know, how's that going to affect you? Do you think about it? And just like he said before, no, I—I I don't think about it at all. I think all I'm right. playing pretty well. I think I'll be <laughs> fine.
1: Like, yeah, you know, it just just shows you how hard golf is. You know, he—he he wins three weeks ago. Right and uh, is, is playing as good as, you know, good as he can play. And, and you know, three weeks later he shoots 80-80 and, uh, you know, can't can't seem to get it around the golf course. But uh, that is the game of golf. It comes and goes very quickly.
0: Right, and just smiling about it, DJ, like he always has, even when he three-putts the 72nd hole, loses the U.S. Open, he's still kind of got that same, you know, he always looks like he's walking to the beach, DJ, you know, and... Yeah, rather sure. than down the fairway. and but on the other side, Kepka seems genuinely a little worried about his game. he uh, he's not pleased with where he is, and of course uh, won four major championships and a really small window, and now uh, can't seem to find that form at least at the moment.
1: well, he's he's still struggling with it with his knee and uh, had had another MRI on Monday and said it did not look good. I don't think it's something where they're going to have to surgically repair it again, but uh, just hasn't made the progress that uh, they were hoping to at this point, and you know, definitely affecting his his golf game. And uh, heard him heard him talk that it, it, hills are what really bothers him, and walking uphill is fine, walking downhill is is very painful. He said.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he's got to get healthy. That's for sure, but. Uh, he's a competitor too. I don't think he's. I don't think he's coming off the off the course anytime soon. He no. basically said that as well. With uh, Jack's tournament, uh, they toughened it up a little, certainly, and probably the one of the best fields ever at a at a regular season event. And uh, uh, the memorial was kind of ready for the boys, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, the golf course played totally different than it had the previous week. Yeah. And uh you know much the the kind of like we had uh, heard they were going to do the, the greens were were much firmer the golf courses was firmer the gra- the rough was longer and uh, that's a, that's a, one of the more difficult golf courses every year on tour anyway and uh, definitely uh, showed its teeth week two there.
0: A couple of things happened. Uh, we've talked rules on the show a lot of times <laughs> uh, DeChambeau had the a kind of argument with an official along the fence line there and uh, the rules guy you know said no no it's out of bounds it's out of bounds it's yeah. out of bounds basically and DeChambeau's like uh, you know typical go against me kind of thing and uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, DeChambo just lost control there didn't he it's uh, he's a pretty steady guy pretty much uh, studies the game and that kind of thing but he lost control of his emotions there when he made the 10
1: yeah i i I have no idea what he was thinking about when he was arguing with the rules official and called somebody else in. I mean, there are not too many more clear-cut rules than out-of-bounds. And his ball was was clearly on, um, you know, the side of the, the boundary that was out-of-bounds. And he was trying to make an argument that he could hit it, and it just didn't... Uh, he just continues to do some things that don't uh do any favors for his image.
0: Yeah, he gets a, a little ego gets in the way there. He hits the exact same shot twice in a row and it gets the exact same result. Tries to hit a 3-wood out of the thick rough and hits it out of bounds and then does it again. <laughs> and then he's It was funny seeing him on the green. The guys we used to make fun of, you know, that would turn back toward the tee and uh, then count their shots and, and you're all, <laughs> yeah. and, and you're always thinking you know this guy's going to cheat. He, he's going to cheat me out of a shot here because he, he's act like he's counting. All right.
1: <laughs> yeah, he certainly looks like an our uh, everyday man golf. Yeah, uh, golfer me, out there. Thank you. one shot
0: Two, three. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, boy, the Spaniard, new number one player in the world, uh, John Rom, had the kind of a week that I think a lot of people uh, expect John Rom to have fairly often. He is a terrific player when he's on.
1: Yeah, when when he uh, when he is on, he is well. He's the number one player in the world at the moment, but he, he is definitely one of the best players in the world. And um, boy, he played. He he certainly played well uh, this weekend under very hard conditions. And uh, boy, he hit, he drove it great and hit a lot of sure hit a lot of good good shots. The wheels on
0: the pull cart were wobbling though on the back nine. There, he was up eight at the turn and. All of a sudden, it was three on 15, and uh, he, he'd lost uh, five shots. And then he has the penalty shot, which he didn't know about until uh, Amanda's interviewing after the round. And he, you could tell he just had a blank look on his face like, what are you talking about?
1: Yeah, uh, that, that was an interesting one. I, I, I thought the USGA changed that rule that you couldn't make a ruling based on high-definition video. I thought
0: they did, uh, too. I thought the same thing.
1: You know the ball definitely moved, but it it sure didn't move much. You know i i i'd certain I certainly give him the benefit of the doubt that he didn't see it move. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, he, there was definitely no advantage involved. So that 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 was an interesting one, and I, I'm glad it didn't have any impact on the tournament.
0: Yeah, luckily he was up by enough. It sure could have though. It was uh, it could have been disaster for him, obviously. But yeah, yeah, I think the again the guys in the lead are at a, at a distinct disadvantage there on that. I mean, not everybody's getting that sh- camera zoom in on a, on a shot in the thick rough at the memorial, or they'd be doing that all day long with their 120 no. players.
1: Yeah, and that, that's that's one of the reasons the rule has changed. I mean, it, it definitely has a focus on the best players because they're on camera all the time. Right. Uh, so it's, if you can't see it with the human eye, it probably isn't a penalty.
0: Right, yeah, so. yeah. And if it wobbles, I mean, how many, I don't know, in that thick of grass, you could hardly put a club behind a ball without it wobbling uh, some of the time. Right. A high percentage of the time, probably.
1: No, for sure.
0: Yeah. Got a good uh, guest coming up. Uh, Chris, you uh, found this, and and, uh, David Cook, correct?
1: Yeah, looking forward to speaking to Dr. David Cook. Uh, performance coach and uh, it's a great movie and book out um, the last couple of years and has written several good several good books and uh, has worked with a lot of high-performing athletes and and business people so it should be great
0: that'll be good you're listening to lakes woods and irons on 1380 kliz welcome back to lakes woods and irons with chris foley colin mcdonald with you 1380 KLIZ, the fan. You'll find us on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons, and also Podcast MN, the landing spot for Minnesota podcasts. A special guest today. Uh, Chris, I'll let you handle the introductions.
1: Yeah, I want to welcome to the show, Dr. David Cook. Dr. Cook is a performance consultant and sports psychologist, has worked with uh, a lot of high-performing athletes, including PGA Tour players and the San Antonio Spurs. And uh, he's the author of Seven Days in Utopia, Golf's Sacred Journey, as well as one of my favorite books, The Psychology of Tournament Golf. Uh, Dr. Cook, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Appreciate it. You bet. I... You know, I've 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 heard you speak several times, and I've always enjoyed uh, your message and your uh, Seven Days in Utopia book. I love, and I I frequently have my students watch uh, watch the movie Seven Days in Utopia, and following that, they they usually have one of their best rounds of the year, their best round ever. So it's it's always fun.
2: Oh, that's so nice, and I appreciate the compliment. That was really fun to write, and a really fun uh experience to make that movie with uh with robert duvall
1: tell tell us a little bit about the background on that and the, the story of seven days in utopia
2: well i was a student of bob rotella's i was his first kind of golf doctoral student way back in the 1980s and um i just kind of watched his books and other books come out and um i I knew that someday I wanted to write a book but I didn't want it to be like anyone else and finally one day it just came to me that I needed to write a fiction story based on all the people that I've worked with uh, and and all the mentors I've had and kind of put them into a couple of characters and we have a ranch down in this little community called Utopia, Texas which is about 300 people in the middle of nowhere and so uh, I set it there that was the setting at a really bad golf course there with a really cool sort of uh, Harvey Pinnock-type mentor. So that's how it all came together. Um, and, you know, when the book came out, it just sort of exploded. And then uh, a movie director got a hold of it and asked if it could be his first movie. And then the next thing we know, we had a producer, an Academy Award-winning producer, who had inroads into Robert Duvall, Melissa Leo, Lucas Black. And it just became a really amazing experience.
0: Robert Duvall, what a pleasure to have him a star and a role in what in your book. I mean, he's, uh, in my opinion, maybe the greatest American actor. I love every almost everything he does.
2: Well, it's so cool because he got to play. I had a mentor growing up. My golf mentor was a guy named Johnny Ariaga, and he taught a whole lot. Like Harvey Pennick, he used a lot of parables and and uh, creative ways of looking at golf, making sure you're looking out in front of the ball instead of worried about your golf swing, painting pictures and. So to have Robert Duvall play him was just a joy of my life because my mentor Johnny died many years ago and it was just really cool to see and then also to be able to make uh, Robert Duvall into basically a sports psychologist. So I was really trying to do a couple things there. One was to was kind of a love letter to the PGA of America because my best friends are the teachers and pros in the, you know, PGA and I just love what they do in their profession. I wanted Johnny to really... Uh, illuminate that and then also he had a whole lot of sports psychology in him so i wanted to elevate our field a little bit and it was uh, it was it was just a great project to be involved with and the way it came together was so miraculous
1: tell tell us about uh, one of the stories i love that you talk about with johnny is is uh his when he talks about picasso after he hits a shot
2: you know and that's a true story um so every time my my teacher John, as he was working with me, I was probably around 14 years old when this happened. He's on his way to shooting a 61, uh, and which I saw him do twice on our little blue collar golf course. And we're on number 17. He hits up there about three feet on a par three. Turns and puts his club in his bag, and he says Picasso. And he had said that about every every hole of that day, you know. But I, I, I watched him do that, and I just went, Picasso, what do you mean, Johnny, Picasso? What, what what do you mean? And he said, come here, Cookie. So I went up there on the on the driving, uh, on the tee box, and looked out there and said, what do you see when you look at this part three? And I said, well, there's a lake to the right, a big hill with weeds to the left, a false front, a really bad bunker, and the pins in a hard place. He goes, no, no, what do you see? I said, well, that's what I see. He said, "Well, you don't understand." I said, "Well, I must not, but I'd like to." He says, "Well, son, you get a blank canvas every time you get to step up to a shot. You got a blank canvas in front of you. You get, you actually have a choice in your life. You get to create what you want to have happen, not what you don't want to have happen." It looks to me like you're you're picking out a lot of things in the environment to try to avoid, and it creates stress and anxiety that ruins your golf swing. Look out there. I want to know where you want to get the ball to, and how you want to get it there, and create that picture and paint it on that mass, painted on that on that on the um the uh, canvas. And then he said he said I just choose to paint a masterpiece on. And then he finally said this which was just the icing on the cake. He said and when I finish hitting the shot I just signed my painting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice.
2: <laughs> which was yeah, every element of sports psychology is in there. One is to create an image of what you want to have happen. Secondly are the sort of the three elements of that are target, shape and trajectory, you know. Where do you want it to land? How do you want it to get there? What's the shape? What's the trajectory? Really, you know, that's the elements of visualization and then accountability that instead of just saying, I'm going to do it, that his, his trigger accountability was that he knew when he put his club in his bag, he's either going to say Picasso or no, I didn't do it. And he wanted to make sure every time his club went in his bag, that he, that he had been accountable to the goal that he'd had. And, When you're accountable to that goal, then you're playing a different game than most other people are. They're playing how many over par they are, how not to make a mistake, trying to get over the last three putt or the last bad seven iron they hit or whatever, and all he's trying to do is say, hey, open yourself up for potential. Give yourself a chance. Create an image, and then your muscles will respond to that.
1: I love that. David, you know when I so many of the players I work with when we talk, I always tell them you know the difference between an elite level player performer and the average players is that the elite level player has the same negative thoughts when they get up to a, a difficult shot, whether it's out of bounds or water or whatever it is. But the elite level player has awareness of their thoughts and then they'd, they've developed mechanisms to redirect those thoughts. How, how can the average player get more into that mode?
2: Well, I'll give you a little uh, powerful uh, illustration and and I'll tell you, there's a lot of elite players that don't get this, but this is like, you know, in two or three sentences, you can save a player. I mean, you can save their livelihood, which I saw happen. Um, so one is, let's just say uh, I choose an object, a lemon. And I say, Chris, don't think about the lemon. Stop thinking about the lemon. Quit thinking about the lemon. Just block the lemon out. Don't think about the lemon. Chris, you're still thinking about the lemon. You know, it's like impossible. What what most average players are trying to do is they go, oh, oh I'm not supposed to think that. Okay, don't think that. Stop thinking that. Quit thinking that. Don't, don't, you know, don't notice that water. Quit thinking about the water. Quit thinking about your last shot. You know, and so they're they're trying they're attempting they even have a goal not to but all it does is make it get bigger and so a very simple one sentence technique changes you change someone's life especially their performance life and that is um, alright think about the lemon again there's a lemon bright yellow lemon word sun kisses on the side okay the lemon rolls out of the picture comes an orange the orange rolls out here comes a banana there's a label on that banana what does that label say Chiquita. Chiquita. Or soul, right yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. The banana's gone and here comes a watermelon. Who's thinking about a lemon anymore? The, the key in performance is, yeah, we're going to have negative thoughts, but instead of trying to block them out, don't think about them, is to replace them. Replacement psychology. Replace the thought. And that sounds like so easy, so elementary. And I'm telling you, I've seen guys on the tour, in playoffs, totally blow their chance to win by trying to avoid something and trying to block something out. So, so the replacement is what Johnny said. He said, all right, you got all that stuff in your mind. You got Lake Hills, weeds, bad bunker and pin place with false front. Stop. Replace it. What do you want it to do? Instead of seeing all the limits, what do you want it to do? Well, I want it to go three feet left of the hole. I want it, you know, I want it to be in there coming in there left to right. I want to hit it low under the wind. Great. That's that's the banana, you know, or that's the watermelon. The lemons, you're not thinking about those anymore. So that's the thing. We're on the practice range in our brain, if we can get there and just hit the same shot we hit on the practice range with the same emotion and the same feeling inside instead of letting all these objects take us out. And one one more thing, I don't you know, I know you have a lot of questions, but one more thing I think is important is that Objects like a white stake, (laughs) out-of-bounds stake, red stakes, yellow stakes, bunkers, so many people see those as negative. And I see them as guides. They're telling us where to hit it, not where not to hit it. You know, you've got a strategy based on these guides. We're not trying to avoid the guides. We're going to a target, but where's where's the target you want to go to? I mean, if it's, you know, out-of-bounds is left of the hole and there's a downslope, you know, that's going to take the ball there, my target's going to move to the right side of the green or right and short, and then I'm going to really hone in on what's the shot I'm going to hit to that point. Guides are important. They're inanimate, but we we get a lot of fear out of those things.
0: You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ, our interview with Dr. David Cook. We'll be back with more golf lessons and life lessons with Dr. Cook right after this. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. This segment brought your way by Holiday Stores of Cross Lake and Mill Avenue. Stock up on your snacks and your beverages and your fuel at Holiday Stores of Cross Lake and Mill Avenue. Back to our interview now with Dr. David Cook and his advice on golf and life.
1: You know, in in, uh, the tournament, the psychology of tournament golf, you talk a a lot about uh, SFT, see, feel, and trust.
2: Tell us about that. So if we had to kind of create a neural, a neural pathway of performance, um, we could kind of draw a picture or, or think about it this way. The first thing that happens is our eyes see something. It creates an image. That image then transfers into our muscles and it creates a feel for what we just saw. And then, and then that feel has to be let back out. Into performance, and we call that trust. So we see the shot, so that we can feel the shot, so that we can let it happen. Let's a really big word, and that's called trust. That's the neural psychology of performance. Boy, we do that when we're you know eating with the fork or combing our hair in the morning, looking in the mirror. I mean, it's just so easy that the neural pathway is so developed and we stand on the brains and we hit all these shots and we create a neural pathway. And then we go out there instead of seeing what we want to have happen, we see disaster. So you have that choice again. And then instead of feeling the, the motion of a, a a slight faded seven iron, you know, that, you know, maybe cuts about 10 feet under the wind, that kind of hang on cut feeling, we look out, and we see all this other stuff and we're, we're feeling tension, anxiety, and doubt, and your body didn't work with that stuff, and then instead of letting it or trusting it, we then swing with doubt, fear, and um, the results just aren't going to be that great, so see, feel, and trust is a really good funnel, you know, teaching people how to play, see what you want to have happen, now feel that shot and trust it, and Chris, I'm sure you do this, all great teachers, when a, when a student hits a good shot, the first thing they say is, so what did that feel like? And if they go, oh, I don't know, it felt good. No, 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 no. What did it feel like? You know, get them to explain it. It
1: Absolutely. felt like, you know, i
2: was hanging on more than normal or I was, you know, really staying with the shot or I was behind it or, you know, it was more round than up and down. Or, and they say, okay, okay, let's write that down. Let's get that because that's, that's part of what you're, you're doing. You're trying to create a sensation so that you can spit it out on the golf course.
1: You know, one of the things that I've found in my, in my own game especially is it's it's easy to do that when you're playing well. But when things get off the rails, how, how do you get back to that?
2: Well, it starts with what's your goal for the day. You know, that's why I wrote the book Psychology of Tournament Golf. Right? You know, I, I just felt like we needed to create a plan for – how to post a score. So that book is like the moment your foot hits the floor in the morning till you debrief from the round, this is what you do with your head. And so the main goal in that whole book is to create this sense of what is my purpose during the day. And, you know, once the ball leaves the club face, you have no control. So the control always is before the club face meets the ball. So, you know, and what's behind that is what you're thinking. So we've got to get control of what we're thinking. So my goal is to put my mind in position over every shot to succeed. And I define that as I'm going to go through the see, feel, trust process, and then my club moves before I hit every shot. And I'm going to grade myself on that. And so when, when you hit a bad shot or two, um, you know, first of all we're not robots so that's going to happen that's part of the game and i'll give you some really good research in a minute about that but secondly is my my response is number one did i go through the routine i did okay i'm not a robot and i went through it secondly the best thing i can do on the next shot is go through my routine that means create the picture feel it without tension freedom and then trust it let it happen but what happens is that We've got that sea field trust going, and then we miss a few shots and then we start bailing on it. We say, okay, I, I'm, I'm flipping my wrist or I'm hanging back or I'm sliding or, you know, all of a sudden we get into mechanics instead of the, the, the psychology, mental role that we have to, you know, we have to get to. So the first thing is committing, committing to what's the real goal. The goal is putting your mind in position. Then your the body has a chance to work. You can save people lots of shots just by getting. And committed to what is a, what is a true goal they have control over. Um, let me let me just allude to this because it may not come up in your question. Some of the great some great research came out of Stanford, and basically, these guys studied the the purpose you know of the mind and and um, you know what what is what's the main function of the mind and it they came up with a couple of really good sentences and they happen to be golfers too, so I really like the way it fits in golf. Says the brain is not was not created for perfection. Wired for perfection the brain is wired for adapting. Hmm. Yeah. Now, that changes the way we look at and maybe even teach the game of golf. And if we if we believe the first statement that the mind is wired for perfection and we sit there with a with an iron and we hit 50 balls until we get it into, you know, some some sense of perfection and then pray that it, you know, 25 hours later when I have to tee off, that in the tournament that it holds. Or I can hit one ball with one club, that kind of shot, then take another club and hit a different shot, then a third club and hit another shot, then a fourth club and hit another shot. And I'm hitting low cuts and high hooks. I'm hitting to these objects. I'm hitting to hills and trees and flags. I'm hitting everything. And then I'm using different kinds of grasses. i uh, got different kinds of lies. At the end of that practice session, what you've done is you've created a thing called feel, which I alluded to a minute ago. And feel is a sensation. You've got to create enough sensations, you know, so that you know how to hit a shot when when you're called to. And here's the most fascinating thing. If you practice, we call it creative practicing. If you practice like that, you've, you've got this enormous, enormous uh, vault of feel, you know experiential feel that you've created if you're just trying to hit that one good five iron and you hit 50 to 150 balls with it off of a perfectly flat light and no ramifications you have created no feel basically except for the one or two balls that you're trying to remember what that felt like all the other shots you're moving them to objects and targets and so the first guy the perfectionist hits a his drive on the first hole, he misses a fairway by two feet. Pretty good drive, but it was perfect. He goes down there, he looks his ball down in the grass, looks at the bunker, he's got to get it over and try to hold the green, and he's upset already going, why did I miss the fairway? The other guy that's been adapting, he stands up there fearlessly on the drive, hits it, goes a little bit right, shrugs it off like that. That's why I practice all these shots. Gets to his ball and goes, ha, they're going to love this one. You know, and he takes the club and he hits it. He might miss a green. Then he goes, well, that's great. I know this shot. And he hits it up there. You know, he makes a putt for par because he's an adapter and he's happy as a lark. And the other guy's mad the whole time because he didn't hit a perfect shot. <laughs> the next shot's no good because he did not practice it. He wondered why he, you know, he practices harder and longer than anybody he thinks. And then the next thing you know, he's another of the 3,000 people we know that had really good swings that are pathetic golfers when it comes to posting a score in a tournament, pathetic in the sense compared to their talent because they practice incorrectly. They never did become an adapter. I think everybody listening to the show should go see the, you know, I think it's on um, that Amazon prime the savvy, the sort of the movie documentary. Yes. He learned, he learned to play golf on a beach with a bad three-iron for three years, hitting shots out of cruddy sand and weeds to objects and targets, and he only had a three-iron. He had to hit flop shots and bump and runs and everything, and he did that for three years. And then six years after that, once he finally got his clubs, he tied Jack Nicklaus for second at the British Open at St. Andrews. And then he watched his career. He hardly ever hit fairways, but it didn't matter because <laughs> he knew how to get it around the green, and then he was a genius there because he knew every shot with every club because he grew up that way. I don't think, Chris, he's different, maybe. I don't think he's different than me and you in a sense, oh, he must have been a right-brainer. He must have been creative. No, it was the way he learned the game. It doesn't matter if you're a left or right-brainer. If you've got a three iron and the only shots you get to hit for three years are out of, you know, on the beach, hitting that object, you're going to learn to be an adapter. He was an adapter. It was amazing. What a great story. You guys got to watch that.
1: It's a fantastic story, and, you know, Seve was almost better off if he was in the trees of the rough than if he was in the middle of the fairway.
2: Yep, and Crenshaw the same way. You know, he was a, won the NCAs his junior year, turned pro, won some tournaments, and just, like, never hit a fairway in his life. But, man, was he great out of the rough, and he was great on the greens.
1: We, uh, we talk about it a lot on the show, whether you're uh, – <clears throat> are you practicing or you're exercising? And, and most people <laughs> yeah. exercise. They don't practice.
2: Yep. Yep.
0: David, talk yeah. a little bit about how that, this whole thing kind of transfers to, you've worked with great organizations all over the world, ExxonMobil, American Express, Valero Sprint, Frito-Lay, San Antonio Spurs, one of the better teams in NBA history. And uh, it transfers into the business world, I would guess, uh, fairly equally
2: yeah i talk about the three pillars i talk about our focus and passion and mental toughness and focus is where are you going you know what where where do you want to go passion is how bad do you want to get there and then mental toughness is having the mental skills to handle adversity along the way and mostly what i talk about in corporations are you know it's a whole adversity thing and that um, you know embracing the pressure um, is you know, the first choice, practicing for the emergency is another choice. That's the adapting part. Um, you know, uh, these, are, these are transferable into any, any organization or any, any business. Um, the, the concept of psychology, the way we think and interact with, you know, the experiences in front of us and people uh, it's just such a, it's just a powerful tool to know this stuff. So people that really get into it in golf and, you know, golf is just a game of influencers. You know, so many business people play it and they can learn what we're Chris and I are, you guys are talking about here on the golf course, man, it just transfers so big into business. You know, this whole COVID thing, that's a big lemon. So what are you going to do about it? <laughs> well, you know, I hadn't been able to speak for five months. So, Zoom has been the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. It's been amazing. And you know, I can do 3 Zoom calls in a day versus I got to travel to Minneapolis, stay in some other hotel, go speak in front of a bunch of people, eat chicken, you know, come home <laughs> and and you go, "Golly, I did 3 today and I never left my desk and I'm wearing shorts." You know, who cares?
0: And I didn't have chicken. And, and,
2: and I didn't have to eat chicken. <laughs> Chipper chicken, man. How many times are you going to eat that in a square room? So, um, anyway, it's just opened the whole world and I think the world of business. So, you know, uh, hey, you can't speak anymore. Well, yeah, you can. There's this new thing called Zoom. By the way, I put some investment dollars in Zoom too, and that really helped. Stock market's going crazy. Well, I'm putting it in Zoom and Tesla. I don't know what you guys are doing. <laughs>
1: David, you know, that that was going to be my next question for you. And, you know, the, these one? times the question? <laughs> <laughs> about COVID, uh, you know, it, it, all, there's so much uncertainty today and there, there's so, so much anxiety. And it's hard for us to do any planning and it's hard to hard to paint that picture. What are some ways that, that people can can cope with that? And lead the, their lives the best way they can today, in our current environment.
2: Well, I have, um, you know, I have a saying. Certainly, it's it's based not just on me, but it's based on something that the, you know, the Bible says in James. But it basically says that adversity is something that makes us stronger. teaches perseverance, and then that leads to maturity and completeness. And I wrote something in one of my blogs. I do a lot of blogging. Um, and one of my blogs recently just said, you know, um, I planted a willow tree one time in a wet spot and it just kept blowing over every time the wind would blow. And finally I realized as it blew over, I looked at its tap root and it was about six inches long and that uh, roots would hold us down in the ground. And, um, and so it's root, it, it had so much water. It didn't need to go deep. So it was just really weak and shallow. And so we quit watering it and, um, and all of a sudden, it started dropping leaves, but the root was forced to go really deep to look for water, and it dropped most of its leaves, but made it through the drought and and then came back really strong, and the wind never never hurt it again. And I was thinking about the Covid. I said, you know people were <laughs> you're you're casting off a whole lot of leaves right now, but just remember that all the leaves you're casting off right now are turning into strength for tomorrow's adversities so actually the gift right now is that everybody's roots going deeper as long as they don't give up for whatever is in front of us in the future and that's where maturity and completeness comes from so i really believe it's the same thing in golf man we go through these experiences but if we can hang in there and around longer than we did before or we stay with the routine you know and don't give up on it all of a sudden some things begin to happen and we we realize the one thing that we have control over, which I mentioned before, is what you think, not the outcome. And um, uh, my sequel book is about the hardest U.S. Open in the history of the world, really. And I I just, it's, you know, it may sound bizarre, but I mean, Hale Irwin won eight over par, and Wingfoot won, so I I wasn't that far off. I think in my book, nine over one or something. But what I was trying to say in the book, that par is irrelevant. In our life right now, in COVID, whatever used to be par, that's irrelevant. And so many people think, you know, I didn't get I didn't get enough business, or I didn't get enough jobs, or I didn't get enough this or that. thing, you know, whatever we graded ourselves on before, there's a different grading system right now. What I was trying to explain in the in the book is par is irrelevant. It's basically, what do you do with what's being presented in front of you, and who can who can outlast the others, um, and who can deal with the you know the adversity uh best. And I really believe all the stuff that our country's going to right now, I'm I'm praying that the roots are going deeper instead of us completely dividing and I think the good people understand that and you know we're gonna be stronger as individuals and hopefully stronger as a country. Um, but we gotta have enough good people to believe that. Boy that,
1: that is fantastic stuff, David.
0: What a great message, David. Yeah, thank you very much. If uh, you guys. If um, people want to get a hold of you, David, uh, possibly have you be a speaker or a Zoom speaker in the next few months. <laughs> uh, yeah. How can they get a hold of you?
2: And it's cheaper that way, too. I don't have to get on a plane. <laughs> um, well, the, my uh, uh, my business site is davidcookconsulting.com, davidcookconsulting.com. And... Um, they can find all my stuff there, uh, and then the the books you guys are referencing are mostly on links of dot Links of dot But they can they can find me at either place. And, um, I love I actually love Zoom. I love the Zoom because <laughs> you can do like thirty minute bits instead of sitting there for an hour and a half. And you can do them across a few weeks and. People all have the you know that small amount of time, so I'd love to
1: love to encourage people. Uh, that's great stuff. Well, David, we really appreciate coming on the show and, and sharing your passion and your knowledge with us. Well, there's more.
2: You guys call me back sometime. Let's let's go deeper.
0: Yeah, let's let's do that. That's fantastic. That's uh, Dr. David Cook and uh, a great uh, really message. that's on target right now, especially in the world. You're listening to Lakes Woods and Irons on 1380 KLIZ. Welcome back to Lakes, Woods, and Irons with Chris Foley, Colin McDonald with you, 1380 KLIZ, The Fan. Also on Facebook at Lakes, Woods, and Irons, find us there, and also Podcast MN, the new landing spot for Minnesota podcasts, courtesy of our sponsor, Mills GM, the home of affordable luxury and the home this month of employee pricing at Mills GM, good savings through the month of July. Also, Craigans Resort, check out their two great golf courses, The Legacy and Bobby's. And uh, the par 3 course, great dining and uh, play and stay opportunities all at Craigans Resort. Wanted to update you quickly as uh, we do this on uh, Friday morning, this segment. Uh, Richie Wierenski made a short birdie putt on the par 5 18th. Shot an 8 under par 63 for the first round lead at the uh, 3M Open. He's 248th ranked in the world. Dustin Johnson unfortunately had to withdraw with a back injury following a 78. A 24-year-old Wawenski winless on the PGA Tour, but uh, broke a tie with Michael uh, Thompson with his ninth birdie on a warm and windy day at TPC, but the guys are tearing up. There's a bunch of guys, a couple 8-under, 7-under, I should say, and uh, Tony Finau kind of leading a pack at 6-under as well. So other than the memorial, the guys have been tearing up the golf courses. Now back to our segment with uh, Chris Foley on 1380 KLIZ chris uh terrific guest david cook uh can't thank him enough and uh he is a very interesting life coach basically not just on the golf course but uh uh really how to be better at life actually
1: well that that's what I love so much about his stuff i mean it's so it, it's so applicable to our golf games but it's it, it's applicable to how we perform in life as well and uh so we can take all those principles and you know get better at our jobs or what we're doing in our families or, you know, whatever we're trying to do in life, it all applies to.
0: Yeah, let's uh, talk about taking his plan kind of to the golf course. We were going to talk about that a little bit, uh, uh, how it is uh, such a good uh, life lesson and golf lesson all rolled into one. And there's, well, we've talked many times about golf being a good lesson for life. And uh, I'm sure you certainly see that with, uh, the variety of students and ages uh, that you coach and teach
1: no for sure and you know when you're we, when talking about you know exercising versus practicing and um you know so many when we see so many people out there that, that just come out and a practice session is is really just a warm-up session they hit uh you know 37 irons and 15 drivers and uh, they get into a sense of rhythm and timing and, and are hitting them all pretty good. But that, that isn't how we play golf. Uh, golf's a one shot environment where we hit, um, you know, we hit a driver off the tee and then maybe, maybe we hit a seven iron onto the green and, and a couple putts and we go to the next hole and it's a par three and we hit a, a five iron and and so on and uh, we really need to to practice more like that and uh, I loved when when Doctor Cook was talking about you know uh, hitting v- sh- sh- shots of variety and um, you know going to the range and and picking out different targets and trying to curve the ball in one direction or curve it in the other direction and um, I think one one of the most fun pra- sessions we have with when we work with the kids is we take them out to the exterior of the range and the trees and and have them hit shots out of the trees and try to you know hit them through through holes and hit you know try to curve the ball one way or the other like they're in trouble and those type of things and those are the the type of things that are transferable and allow us to uh, take our game to the golf course rather than just hitting hitting shots and, and working on our golf swings where you really have to, where you visualize the shot and you hit it and, um, you know, you're successful with it. And that that's when you can take it to the course and, and actually visualize hitting the shot.
0: Yeah, see it, feel it, trust it. And getting back to the positive plan, is uh, Dr. Cook said, and uh, very similar to what you've said, you, you really have to be able to reset in golf. It just, uh, you know, all you're in charge of is, 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 Thinking about how you're going to hit the next shot, not not how it winds up. So uh, you better be thinking positive when you stand over the ball, no matter what the situation.
1: Yeah, we we you know we don't have control of a lot of uh, exterior things, but we do have control of our how we how we think about something and how we react to something, and that's so true on the golf course. And. Um, you know it's hard to do, but but that's what you see week in and week out on the PGA Tour. The 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 players that are successful are the ones who have have controlled their emotions, and they've you know they've gotten out of adversity, and they they've they hit the best shots. And um, I think the John Rahm, I think, is a good example of that this weekend he was really leaking oil uh, coming in and. Um, Unlike a lot of times that he's done in the past, he really uh, uh, he held it together and he didn't get too emotional and um, obviously was successful.
0: That could be a real game changer for him, just the, the way that he came through that when he was leaking oil so bad for a few holes and then uh, uh, bounced back and had the great solid finish, wins by three, and uh, uh, basically in a, in a uh, not a runaway, but by PGA standards, almost a runaway when you win by three. I was thinking, Chris, I got immersed in some Nicholas stuff this week on the Golf Channel with uh, his uh, series Jack that Tom Selleck narrates, and then uh, uh, Faraday had his interview played back. Of course, all wrapped around the Memorial Tournament this last week. But I I recall you talking about Bill Rogers, a British Open champ, who we were lucky enough to have on the show. And uh, you had a great experience with Bill uh, right when that story kind of the – the '86 Masters story began to be told again, and uh, you happened to watch it with Bill Rogers, which is amazing.
1: Yeah, it was. It was on the uh, 20, 25th anniversary of Jack's win of the '86 Masters. They had that great special on it, and uh, uh, it was at Augusta. They premiered it the, the Monday night of the Masters, and um, Bill was staying at the. We always stay in the same house, and. Uh, I happened to, uh, he happened to just get into town. I had gotten done with what we were doing for the day and got back to the house. And it was just Bill and I in the house and, uh, Bill had played in that masters bill had never played, uh, very well in the masters. I think his best finish was 13th or 14th, but uh, a bunch of miscuts. And, uh, but to hear, to hear bill, he, bill is very much a golf fan and, you know, a huge fan fan of Jack's and Jack was always a hero of his but to listen to Bill's comments as Jack as they were playing that special and him remembering the shots that Jack hit him playing in the same event hear, hearing the roars uh was really a, a neat experience for me and really special to get to to sit there listening to Bill and pick his brain
0: yeah the live uh, up close and personal look at it and I think yeah. uh, in that special, and and then later in the Jack special that Selleck narrates, he talks about how almost always the uh, pros get done, and if they're tenth or eighth or whatever or worse, you know they they're out of there. They just leave and they're headed down the road. And he said so many guys stayed because uh, they wanted to see Jack coming in, and uh, yeah. of course it ends up being a payoff for everybody.
1: Absolutely, uh, that was Bill's comment. Nobody wanted to leave because. They were, they were seeing history before him
0: <laughs> Yeah, they sure were. That uh, big block putter he had from out of nowhere that everybody said, that's the ugliest putter I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> then about half the country bought him the next week probably.
1: Oh, yeah, it was. Uh, uh, I was young in the golf business at that point, but, boy, it, it was a McGregor putter called The Response, and uh, uh, McGregor could not make enough of those putters.
0: <laughs> no, I'm sure not. <laughs> Good enough for 46-year-old Jack, good enough for me, right? No question. (laughs) All right, Chris, great show. Thank you. Thank you, Mac. You're listening to Lakes, Woods, and Irons on 1380 KLIZ.